This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au And last week was Celebration Sunday, uh, which was great. We had, uh, you know, we, we, we uh, Matt Sermon was on partying and we had a Christmas party. We learned that we raised over $36,000 in one day as a family. So we were able to celebrate uh, the generosity, uh, the generous hearts that God has given us. It's not, that's not something that we have uh, done ourselves, but it is a gift of God even that we would give. And last week in particular, what, the grace was so incredibly thick in this community as we celebrated together, as we had some drinks and, and food and party and the kids were able to go, you know, run around crazy. My kids came home with just, just covered in dirt. It was amazing. It, it really, I loved it. It really was. So in light of all that, I want to encourage you now from Ecclesiastes, which says this, one of my favorite books. It says, you learn more at a funeral than at a feast. After all, that's where we'll all end up. What's up, kid? (laughs) We might discover something from it. Crying is better than laughing. It blotches the face, but it scours the heart. Sages invest themselves in hurt and grieving. Fools waste their lives in fun and games. Now, I'm all for fun and games, but we need to reckon with our mortality. We need to reckon with the reality that we are not going to live this particular life forever. There is an eternity in our hearts. Yes, we will one day live forever, whether it's with God or not. But right now, we all have to deal with the fact that there will be an end point to this life as we know it. And our goal here at Anchor is to see a group of people and to cultivate and to facilitate and to help you become everything that God is, has destined for us, which means that we will be disciples who make disciples. So we want to celebrate the good things, absolutely, but we want to celebrate them in light of our mortality. And so I'm going to read a couple verses from Hebrews, then I'm going to hit Matthew later on, and we're going to be looking at what identity is and what temptation is, because it's those two things, I believe, that if we think well of those things, we can be the kind of people that we just heard about. People that when life comes at us, we stand. So let me read from the book of Hebrews, just a couple verses. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get right into it. So Hebrews chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be behind me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have given us just enough energy and enough health to be here this morning. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that those who are far from you may be drawn near and those who are in you may be built up into Christ, that Christ may be formed in them. So take my words, the the, the brokenness of them, the incompleteness of them, and do something great, not because of me, but because you desire more than any one of us 
to see your kingdom come in this place this morning. So we ask for your help, Holy Spirit, and I ask that you will help me to forget the things that will be unhelpful for your people this morning and that you would help me to remember the things that will build them up. And in all these things, we love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is, this is my life. I hope it comes up. It's just going to be now. It's there. That's, that's my life. That's all of our lives, really. And I was born in 1984, uh, on this day, actually. And I, while I was preparing this, I, I put a date on there. And I thought, that's a bit presumptuous. So let me just put some question marks up there. And, and that's our life. That's my life. That dash. And when we all go into the ground, whether, you know, if we choose to be buried, when we all go to the ground, we're going to have a headstone, a tombstone. And there's going to be a date where, you, when you were born, and a date when you passed. And there's going to be a little line, a little dash, and that's your life. That dash represents your entire life. James says this about our life. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And that's it. And maybe you'll have a nice epitaph on there, you know, saying, loving father, caring husband, meme king, the kind of girl who spent hours watching cat videos, the kind of person who waits online for the iPhone. I don't know what you would want to put on there, but that's it. And that dash is all you have to work with. And as we heard this morning, that dash is going to represent a lot of things. It's going to represent good times. It's going to represent food and family and joy. But it's also going to represent cancer and disappointment and grieving and loss. The question is, for us this morning, is how will we be the kind of people that will get through that as disciples of Jesus? How does life solidify our identity in Jesus and not draw us further or push us further. Another way to say it is, how will we be kind, the, the kind of radical disciples of Jesus who desire more than anything else the kingdom of God, more than our comforts, more than anything else? How will we be the kind of people that shape our desires for the kingdom of God to come to bear in our messy and often mundane life and in our world and in our city. How will we be those kinds of people? And two things I think we need to know is identity and temptation. Those are two things that are always going to be breathing down our necks. And identity is this. Identity is simply who you are across a variety of contexts. So you are who you are with your family, you are who you are with, uh, at work, you are who you are with your friends, you are who you are with your family here at Anchor at the Gathering. There's a consistency of who you are between various contexts. And temptation, we all know, is this desire for something, often has negative connotations. We, we never say, I'm tempted to go the speeding limit. I'm tempted to stay faithful to my... We don't use that kind of language. And so often temptation is this desire for something that we have a knack, uh, something in our stomach just says, I shouldn't want this. And so I want to reframe those things this morning. And I want to look at... We'll get to Hebrews in a little bit, but I want to look at... I feel the life of Jesus is... is in, in a lot of ways, paradigmatic. It's a paradigm. It's, it's a way that we can look at. We can 
look into his life in the Gospels. And say, how, what, what did Jesus do? How did he handle identity and temptation? And so follow with me to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 4. If you have a Bible, chapter 4, we're going to be going through a few verses, 1 through 11. And I want to walk through this and show us that it is actually true. That when the book of Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every single way that we have been, that's, that's, re- that's reality, that's fact. So often we look at the life of Jesus and we say, was he really tempted the way I am? Really? Was he ever tempted to look at pornography? Was he ever tempted to cheat on his taxes? Because I mean, that's the stuff that we deal with. I'm, I'm tempted. Is, was he tempted to speed on a donkey? What? What? What was he? Was he tempted? We, we often think, really, was he really tempted the way the way I'm tempted? And what we're going to see here is that there's always temptation. Always comes to us through our identity. So read with me, chapter four, the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I want to stop there really quickly. And when we experience intense temptation, we need to know this, that the Spirit is with us. We often think maybe God's on a break. He's busy with someone else. But we need to see here that the Spirit, the Spirit of God, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And he is with him. Verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, as you would be. I'm hungry now. And the tempter came and said to him. And it's interesting. We were reading this as a staff uh, this week, I think, or last week. And, and, and uh, an interesting comment came out that it, it, it's funny that we think that on day one, as Jesus enters the wilderness, the devil's waiting there with his latte waiting to tempt Jesus, but it wasn't until after 40 days. And so what we need to know about temptation, that it not only attacks your identity or tries to form your identity, but what it does, it comes at your weakest points. He didn't come on day one or day 39. He came after Jesus was starving. And what did he ask him to do? And the tempter came and said to him, verse 3, if you are... The son of God, that's an identity statement, who he is. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, this is Jesus responding, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus says, not today, Satan, not today. But what is he asking him to do? He says, if you are the son of God, if you are who you say you are, then I want you to turn this bread, this stone, these stones into bread. Now, Jesus was not against the miraculous. He later turns water into wine. He later takes this little boy's lunch and, and feeds 5,000 men, including women that would have been up to 8,000 and children. A little boy's lunch. So he is not against manipulating and, 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 and working within his creation to, cre- to, to, to perform miracles with food. He's not against that. Why is it so that he doesn't do it here? And it's because Satan is telling him, oh, this is who you are. Then, then do this. You are, basically, this is what he's saying to Jesus. Your identity is wrapped up in what you do. And we are all tempted there. At the, at the seat 
at the heart of this particular temptation is Satan telling Jesus, prove who you are by what you can produce. And in a city like Sydney, in, in our Western individualistic culture, we are told this lie that we can build our identity. That we are the ones that can say, I choose my own identity. We forget that we are deeply impacted by our family of origin. We forget that we are deeply impacted by what we listen to and hear. We, none of us in this room is self-made. You are incredibly tied to your friends and your family and what you eat and what you do. Because what we do often does things to us. It forms us. And a lie that we all, at one point or another, maybe a lie you're believing this morning, is that you are what you do. And so you punch in those hours at work. And you stay late. And you sacrifice community for that. Or you sacrifice your health for that. Because we have all bought into this lie that says we are what we do. And Jesus, with the word of God in his heart, says, we don't live by bread alone. Get behind me. He continues. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, again, another identity statement, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Take a leap. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up and lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Not today, Satan. And I always wondered, with this particular temptation, I was always puzzled. What, 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 is, what is he trying to get at here? Now, what's interesting is that Satan tells him to go to the temple. To the temple. And this would have been an incredibly densely populated place. Now picture this. What Satan is asking Jesus to do, go to the temple, to the highest pinnacle, and jump off. And the angels will come and grab you up. Because that's what scripture says, doesn't it? And the goal there was to get Jesus the popular vote. So that all the religious leaders and all the people of the land who were in the temple would have said, Wow, I'm going to follow this guy. And at the bottom, at the heart, at the seat of Satan's plan here for Jesus was that you are what others say of you. And we are so enslaved to this. That our worth, our value, our identity is wrapped and bound to what other people say of you. And so you have to wear the right stuff. And you have to drive a particular kind of car. And you need to live in a particular kind of neighborhood. You need to. You absolutely need to. Because underneath it all, there's a story that comes wrapped up with this lie. That says, if others think well of you, you're doing okay. You're doing fine. But you hear some bad news. It sticks with you. You hear that someone spoke about you. You hear that, you know, there's a rumor going around in the office about you. And you cannot cope. We are wrapped 
by anxiety, to make sure we have the correct filter, that we look the right way, that we have the right things, because we care so much about what others say. And Jesus says, no, it's a lie. So two lies is that you are what you do, what you produce. You are what other people say of you. And finally, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, and this is where we get our line, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone you shall serve. And the devil left him and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. And the gospel of Luke, where this story is reiterated there, it says that the devil waited for another opportune time to come back to him. And so here, it's okay, fine. You don't fall for the lie that you are what you produce. Fine. You don't fall for the lie of you are what other people think of you. Fine. But you are what you own. You are what you have. You are the sum total of your possessions. And so when you open up your bank app and you find your security there, when you finally sign the deed to that home where you can boast about that, when you get the right stuff in your hands, but this is the thing. That life, if we can, if we can put that back up there, that life that we have, that short life, that dash, actually looks something more like this. When we believe these lies, we go up and down. When people think well of us, we're doing well. We're good. We feel good. We are good. Because we believe the lie that you are what people think of you. When you have the things you want, when you, when you have the things that give you your identity marker, you feel good. When people think and speak well of you, you feel great. And those things aren't bad in themselves. But when we place our hope and our identity in them, what's going to happen? You're going to lose that thing. Cancer will ravage your body or the ones you love. You lose. You die. You get fired. You become redundant. What is going to bolster us during that time? And, you know, even look at the life of Jesus, you know. When, when we look at the life of Jesus, one week they were singing to him, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the next week they were crucifying him. How did Jesus have such steel in his spine to withhold those temptations that that tried to give him his identity. And every single one of us is with him. I don't care where you are. I don't care where you've come from. We all, in the, we are swimming in this, whether we realize it or not. Where did he get his resolve? A couple verses before we learn that the Holy Spirit himself leads Jesus into the wilderness. This is what we read. And behold, now let me give you some context. Jesus is being baptized here by his cousin John, his crazy cousin John. We all have one of those. And behold, a voice from heaven said, 
Now, let, let, let me give you some context. This is before Jesus did anything. He lived a life of obscurity. He was probably a carpenter like his dad or a stone worker like his dad. He didn't perform any miracles. He didn't heal anyone. He didn't forgive anyone's sin. All he did was obey his parents, go to the temple, do what he needed to do. He fulfilled all righteousness in a quiet life. Before he did anything, before he preached a sermon, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. How are you going to make it through that dash without constantly just being thrown into a frenzy the way Jesus did? And this is what you need to learn today. If you remember anything, and I really do hope you forget anything that's not going to be helpful, but if you remember anything, it's this, is that in Christ, when we come to Jesus and we admit our need and our helplessness and our brokenness and our deficiencies and our sin. And when we repent and we come to him and he accepts us, the scriptures use this very powerful language for us. It says that we are in Christ. And you need to know this, that in Christ, you hear that word. It's yours. So that when you look into a mirror, when you face your temptations, you need to know this, that you are the beloved one of God. And that word is for you. And the only way, armed with scripture and the Holy Spirit, the only way that Jesus got through, the creator of the universe... The one through whom all things were made, both visible and invisible. The only way he got through was because he heard that word. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm out of shape. You are my beloved daughter in whom. I'm well pleased. You need to hear that word for yourself because we live in a world that is racked with anxiety about what we look like, what we own, what other people think of us. Garbage. Rubbish. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Now, this doesn't happen overnight for us. We don't just hear this word today and go out and then we're never racked with anxiety. Jesus says, do not worry. I got that down packed. Well, Jesus says, do not lust. How are you going with that? Jesus says, trust in the word that I have spoken over you, that you are my beloved son. That, this is going to take, guys, years for us to get. Now, I don't know if you've seen uh, the Marvel movies, if you haven't. You can speak to me later. I'll, I'll pray over you. You can repent, and then we can have a marathon. But, but in one of the movies, it's interesting. Uh, the, the, the story of Captain America, the first Avenger. There's a story of this kid from Brooklyn. Scrawny, yeah, I know. It's awesome. This kid from Brooklyn, scrawny, but a heart, the heart of a lion. I mean, one of the bravest people enlisted in the army. He kept on trying to get into the army to fight in the war, and yet he was always pushed back. 
And then one day he was taken into this super, uh, um, super soldier program where what, they put him in a capsule and they give him a shot of penicillin and they throw some B Vita rays on him. They give him some more shots and he becomes a super soldier. He becomes Captain America. And so often we think of our growth in Christ like that. If I just get a sermon, if, if I just get the right thing, if I just read a book, then I'll become this super soldier. This is going to take years for us of abiding in the word by the spirit and in community as we constantly reshape our lives so that the prime goal, end of your life should be this, to be more like Christ. We should shape our lives, we should shape our careers around Christ being formed in us. And when that happens, then we hear this word, and it's not just words on a page, and it's not just words for someone else, but we hear that in, the, in our gut, that I'm the beloved one of God. You know, it takes years. In, in marriage, they did a study. I've been married for almost 11 years now. You can pray for my wife. She's, she's done a great job with, <clears throat> with me. Uh, but it takes about, they say, about 10 years before your default mode of thinking goes from me to we. It's not that you don't think of the other person, but it takes about 10 years before your default mode of thinking, and this is with someone that you're living in close proximity with, every single day they see the worst and the best. Mostly the worst for me. Not Catherine, me, I'm the worst. It takes, it takes time, guys. This is, we're playing the long game here. And our desired anchor is to see Christ formed in you so that we can be disciples who make disciples. Our one goal in life, and we're going to do this in a million different ways, is to bring glory to God and to bear witness to the coming kingdom of Jesus. And the way that we do that is by abiding in him by getting our identity, not from what we can produce, not by what we uh, own, not by what others think of us, but by hearing this word. And I'll end here. Listen to this word over your life. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And God himself, if you hear that crying baby, don't, don't try to quiet it. I, I, I want us to hear this. God became that. God became a child in Jesus. And he lived an obedient life. And he died an ignominious death, the death that we deserve. And it's because of that. It's, you need to know, because of the gospel, that word now is for you. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May we live out of that identity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have not left us to ourselves 
We thank you that even in our temptations, you are with us. Your word says that we have a faithful high priest who knows us and knows our condition and knows our weaknesses. And because he was secure in his identity, because he was secure in his father, he was able to withstand the temptations of the devil in the wilderness. And so, Lord, as we go out into our own wildernesses, may we too, Lord, have the resolve to say no, to live an obedient life out of the gospel, out of the reality that you have already called us sons and daughters of the uh, most high God. And so we thank you, living Father. And we ask that you would press these things deep into our hearts, that our habits will change, that our lives will be tailored around our one goal to bring glory to you by reflecting you to this world as we go out on mission. So we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.